This is the ZMAR Podcast. Elite Benefits of America helps small and mid-sized companies with their health insurance programs. And now, your host, Butch ZMAR. So welcome back to the ZMAR Podcast. A lot going on. We have, uh, obviously, a new president in office. So some of the things that people are concerned about is what's going to happen with health care. I'm going to go through some of the things that, how we got to where we're at today with regulation, uh, with healthcare, just a high-level overview, and some of the things are just going to stick, but I do think in the future some things will change to the Biden care. I'm going to walk through what the Affordable Care Act was and, and why we got to where we're at today, or at least some summary of it. There's a lot of details in the weeds that I, I'm, we're not going to get into on this podcast, but I'm going to give you a high-level overview of where we're at because I do think the first intention of the administration is to basically drive home the Affordable Care Act and while they're working on other things behind the scenes. Why did we come to the Affordable Care Act to begin with? Everybody agreed that we needed some type of reform, and reform would have been good or is good um, in a lot of ways, especially when consumers or policyholders are, are just hemorrhaging cash. And the unfortunate part is here we're 10 years, going into 11 years in the making of the signing of the Affordable Care Act. And uh, I would say consumers are, uh, a, lot of, a lot of consumers are hemorrhaging more cash today than they ever did before. There's other people that are paying less than ever before. And we're going to walk through why that is too. And so I guess we'll, we'll walk through what, what did work with the Affordable Care Act. The government always has good intentions uh, for a lot of things. They don't always um, scrutinize or go through and do a huge um, due diligence. They pull data from multiple sources. Uh, they have agendas to meet, so they're only going to put in places or things in place that are going to meet their agenda and what they want. There's obviously a public demand on certain things, but it's a segment of the population, typically not always a mass um, whole. And so one of the things they want to do is make it more affordable. And so they provided financial assistance through a tax credit or through an expansion of Medicaid that made things more affordable. And it did help a lot of people. There's a lot of income brackets that were shifted because of the Medicaid um, expansion. So more and more people, actually a lot of people got into the Medicaid Expansion Act. That was beneficial to those on the lower income scale. Those were a little bit higher income. And when I say higher, I'm not talking about the top 1%. I'm just saying uh, you know, middle class. People got access to a tax credit which was administered through the Health Insurance Exchange. Uh, Health Insurance Exchange is nothing more than a third-party administrator. They were there to regulate the tax credit. But I'm here to tell you that um, on a tax return, the healthcare tax credit or subsidy has rise to one of the biggest frauds on a tax return. There's less penalties related to uh, misinformation on uh, receiving a tax credit. They just ask for the money back, but they have regulations for hardship so that you don't have to pay the whole thing back. But needless to say, people got money to reduce their health insurance premiums, and that was positive. The other thing was um, about pre-existing conditions. There is definitely uh, information out there that uh, about truth about pre-existing conditions. I know politicians really drove this, try to drive this home that people couldn't get access to care. You get diagnosed with conditions. You can't get health insurance. 
And I would say um, most of the time that was a, a false statement. In most states, they had a high-risk pool. In fact, I think almost all of them, I think maybe one or two did not, had a high-risk solution for those individuals. They just didn't publicly advertise, partly because there was a fear of the program going belly up because there was too many people jumping in. It was subsidized by the federal government. In the state of Illinois, there was a high-risk pool administered by the biggest health insurance carrier in the state of Illinois. You had access to a nationwide PPO network, all the teaching hospitals, and the premiums were, if I had to guess, they were uh, half of what the Affordable Care Act premiums were, and that was a high-risk pool. And so the risk models definitely had shifted. We're going to get to that too. But it was about pre-existing conditions. Most people that had pre-existing conditions went to the biggest carrier in the state. They had, at one point in time, the, the toughest underwriting guideline, and therefore people felt like, oh, I can't get insured with the biggest health insurance company in the state of Illinois then therefore I have pre-existing conditions that are uninsurable. Well, it did one, even if that was statement was 100% true, you still had access to the high-risk pool. But comparing to individual health insurance rates at that point in time, uh, it was deemed expensive, but so is not having health insurance. And so um, you pick your poison, so to speak, at that point. But there was over 40 health insurance carriers in the state of Illinois prior to the Affordable Care Act. And so, yes, many of them did not advertise. Many of them had A ratings. Even if they had B ratings, there was just based on financial assets with the ability to pay. It didn't have customer service because I'm telling you, if there was a customer service rating, the biggest health insurance company in the state of Illinois may have some negative reviews lower than many other ones that were B rated based on financial standings. And so it was a just a misconception. It's all about education. But the Affordable Care Act did increase the now... Um, education in the marketplace on getting access to uh, health insurance, maybe what was a deductible versus not. There was a lot of push to educate the consumers, and I think that was good in a lot of ways. One of the biggest gripes that I have as an insurance broker is people do not invest the time for the money they're spending in healthcare. So they don't know how things work. They just know claims come through and they complain when it doesn't work the way they thought, and they don't invest the time to figure out why it didn't work. Maybe it's then, the misconception. And so it's definitely gave a little bit more education, which leads to getting public access to shop plans. And so some people said, well, you know, why were people opposed to it when there was a marketplace for people to go look for insurance and be able to have a shopping menu, so to speak, and have they always use the term so that carriers can compete in price. Well, first off, there was no competition on the marketplace. The prices were set based on a risk model. And yes, there could be some element of competition, but I don't believe that it would have been any different than if there was competition outside of a marketplace. And so it did provide public access to a shopping center, so to speak. But the, the reality is, is for years, insurance brokers have been doing this. Software has been developed in the broker community to allow uh, consumer access to shop and compare plans. And so all it did was basically take the tool away from us and give it to the general public and basically provide us less value to the marketplace. Um, and uh, at some point in time, they did want to eliminate us from being able to offer and sell insurance products in the public. And so there, I'm not saying that we were the direct reason that Congress, that Congress wanted to eliminate us. I'm just saying that there, there are indirect consequences to everything. So 
Uh, yes, it's positive that a consumer can go on to the marketplace and actually shop for their own insurance. There's positive things to that, but there's negative too. So like the problem with that is the public didn't take the um, the time to educate themselves on how policies were actually designed and how they work. There was some new information that allowed them to be become smarter shoppers. But what did happen is people would go onto the public exchange because that's where they thought they had to buy health insurance going forward. Uh, it is not a government health plan. It's just the marketplace the insurance companies provide insurance products through that you could select and elect coverage and then see if you qualify for a tax credit if you were one of those individuals or families. But having public access to shop plans, people would jump to the marketplace, choose their own plan, actually create their own problems, and then come to the insurance broker to fix it. And the insurance companies knew this was going to happen, and they actually put us in a bad situation. And some of them took away commissions if they went marketplace direct before working with a broker. I think this is completely unfair to us, especially because we have no idea if that's going to happen until after the commission statement shows up and it says zero. Needless to say, uh, they come to us to fix the problem, even though they thought they could go ahead and defend themselves and get access to health plans to shop as a consumer. Uh, And I think it worked for some people. Some people figured it out. Some people have enough information to go ahead and make those decisions, but not necessarily I would say most people do not. And then we're sitting there trying to figure out how to resolve some issues. There's not a whole lot of problems I haven't seen on the marketplace, but there's always something new uh, coming down the pipe. Are you a CFO, HR professional, or owner of a company, big or small, and you're tired of the typical health insurance premium increases each and every year? Out of control premiums with no end in sight. Well, now there is the elite benefits formula. This process has saved employers and their employees thousands or even tens of thousands of dollars each year. These strategies are avoided by most insurance professionals and the insurance companies definitely do not want you to know about them. But Elite Benefits of America is ready to help you. Just about all employers in the Chicagoland area can now take advantage of some or all of these strategies and start saving money. Butch Zemar from Elite Benefits of America wants you to reach out to him today. Visit EliteBenefits.net or call 708-535-3006. The Affordable Care Act also uh, minimized wiggle room for small employers to play games with offering coverage to their employees. If an employer is under 50 employees, so 49 and under, there is less regulations as far as offering coverage. Uh, whereas if it's above 50 with the Affordable Care Act, they're required to. And there's a lot of companies that had several hundred employees and they didn't want to get into the health insurance game. I mean, even big companies, um, big national or worldwide companies were trying to get escape this game. And you could only get it if you're at a certain level in the companies. The Affordable Care Act kind of put uh, scrutiny and regulations on how that needs to go down. And uh, like some small employers offered health insurance, but they had waiting periods of like two years. I know some employers are still doing it, but there's some regulations that uh, force uh, the hand of, of some of these. So that I guess that's positive in some ways. It also increased communication between carriers, the policyholders, the brokers, the employer in a lot of different ways. It's not cut and dry and it's not exactly great communication. But, uh, but like, for example, there is a requirement for the employer to make sure they distribute the plan summaries for the plans available. 
Uh, not all employers did that. Even though there's an open enrollment, you could choose a plan, but there is some element of requirement to provide that summary of coverage. Uh, it makes sense, uh, but it, now it's a little bit more of a requirement. There's no penalty for it, but uh, it is a checkbox that is required, and the insurance companies are pushing to make sure employers are doing it. The other thing it did is it created a small business special enrollment period, which happens from November to December every year. This allowed employers to provide health insurance through a group or a sponsored plan or employer-sponsored plan without the requirements of contributing dollars. One of the reasons the small businesses held off and offer health insurance, they couldn't afford to pay for it. So now, through the Affordable Care Act, they're allowed to go ahead and offer a plan. The only skin in the game the employer really has is to front the money for the employees and get reimbursed through payroll. And then there's a decision whether it's pre-tax or post-tax, but that's a whole nother topic. But it allowed employers to offer coverage without the expense at the end of the month coming out of the employer's pocket if they are reimbursed by their employees. So that was a positive thing, plus participation. You could have 15 employees, maybe only one or two people wanted it. Maybe there was a reason for that. Maybe some didn't want insurance or couldn't afford it. But but there are some employers that have employees that have a lot of great spousal benefits, especially in certain populations around Chicago where you have a huge dominance of um, Chicago employees, such as fire department, police department, school systems. And so they have great benefits. So why does the spouse need to get insurance through the small business when they have good benefits through the city? And so there might be employers that just didn't have enough participation. So they allowed a special enrollment so that small employers could offer benefits to those who um, have smaller enrollment uh, numbers. So the Affordable Care Act claims that they increased the number of insured. Uh, there's people that would argue this. There's a net gain, um, not necessarily um, a just overall growth. I mean, they keep coming up with magic numbers, whatever they might be, 30 million. I, I forget what all the numbers are, but we never look at the net gain. There's people insured that had insurance prior. They are still going to have insurance after. I think what it did do is push the lower income brackets to get Medicaid or have financial means to actually purchase insurance. But again, it's a small segment of the population that was pushed to make it more affordable so they can obtain it. And so I think that's positive. But uh, again, I don't know about a mass overhaul because it definitely didn't help a lot of people. And we'll go through some of that, too. Uh, It made the enrollment rules a little bit more clear. It made the claim rules a little bit more clear. But people complained that they would finally make a claim when insurance come prior to the Affordable Care Act and they would get scrutinized. Possibly. uh, I wouldn't say that was a popular thing for the insurance company to do. They waste a lot of money and time doing it. Uh, In fact, some... Insurance companies just put a flat dollar amount of, if it's anything under that, it was just auto-approved. They didn't want to deal with it. They were going to lose money on the whole deal. But they also had systems in place that created red flags because they're building correctly. Or there might be something that you didn't tell them on the health application. People unintentionally lie all the time. So uh, when they fill out the application, they may have forgotten something on their health history. Well, that there's no reporting, uh, there's very little reporting in the health insurance world. Unlike like your auto insurance, if you had a claim a certain number of years ago, it'll show up, right? You can't deny that. And there's some evidence of that in the health insurance world. It's called the Medical Information Bureau, but you could get access to your own report to see what's in there. But it's unclear on where those claims come from, so they have to do homework. If you were the one shelling out tens of thousands of dollars for claims, you need to protect that pocketbook because you have other policyholders that may need that money that you're lying about the claim. And so they're 
could be issues going on. Plus, providers make false claims. So I'm just saying if the, the table was turned, you would look at it a little differently. But with the Affordable Care Act, they changed some of the rules on this. And so most people have not had claim issues uh, like they did before because they couldn't scrutinize. So it kind of just took something off the table. It became more transactional. So it's more um, black and white. There's no gray area or less gray area. And so that made it easy from a purchasing standpoint and, and utilization. But it created more confusion uh, for the consumer. Gold, silver, bronze, platinum. Well, what does that really mean? And what does coinsurance really mean when they keep changing it? And copay arrangements versus deductible. And so it created more confusion versus um, before people understood how the coverage worked. I would say by now, a lot of people have a good understanding of it, but there's still people out there that have no idea. In some cases, they weren't even aware they could purchase their own health insurance. Even small employers, they didn't think they could buy insurance until they were a certain size. And uh, even though all that is false, but it was just consumer knowledge in the marketplace, it definitely made it easier for brokers in a lot of ways. It's complex for compliance reasons and other administrative things, but from a, a transactional point of view, they made it easier. But, and therefore, they pay us less. And so if anybody uses a broker now, I would ask that you be a little bit more appreciative of what they do. Because if they told you, and I would encourage you to ask how much they make on your policy, you probably will be surprised on how much money they make. Because a whole year, they might make $200 and they spent three hours with you throughout the year. How much money are they really making as a business owner or working for another business with overhead and in other employees? You might be um, overly surprised. And I've had many clients that offer to pay the difference to make sure that I'm made whole. In some cases, that was required. In other cases, it wasn't. I think we're going to move, move to a consultant-based system, so we'll have to address that. When that market comes, especially in Chicago, other markets, such as in the East and the West Coast and some places throughout the United States, they have gone to fee-based systems in some fashion. Chicago's a little bit behind. There's some innovative brokers that are doing a hybrid model where they uh, track the time they put in and they have a billable rate. And as long as the commissions are covering that, then there's no bill. But they're transparent. They give disclaimers. And so everything's up front. You're not being surprised. Similar to your CPA, if they're doing work or accountant, there, there may be extra fees if they're doing more work. But you're expecting that there. You're not always expecting on an insurance broker. There's an insurance agent in Chicago. Uh, his name is Stephen Tucker. He's a great guy. Sure, he's competition, but I tell you, he's more of a friend than competition. And he actually wrote um, uh, many pieces on the truth about pre-existing condition. I would encourage you to check him out and check out his articles related to that. He did produce a DVD uh, and I think an audio version. And he's been on podcasts talking about this where there was a truth behind pre-existing conditions prior to the Affordable Care Act. And the politicians as well as the public just took off and ran with the pre-existing on the smaller segment of people having issues. There wasn't a whole lot of pre-existing conditions um, prior to the Health, uh, Affordable Care Act that were not able to be resolved. And so uh, there's definitely a truth. Check out Stephen Tucker's information. He's a great guy. And if you do call him, just tell him Butch sent you. So let's talk about a little bit about what didn't work. Uh, so insurance is about diversifying risk or segmenting the risk. Uh, and if you look at any insurance product, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, and I will continue to talk about this, health insurance is the only insurance product in the marketplace that consumers will buy or businesses will buy 
that we demand so much out of, but it's also at the same time the biggest problem we actually have in insurance. And so we're not demanding certain things out of auto insurance and homeowners insurance and business insurance. We're expecting things out of health insurance because we got spoiled throughout the years. And at one point in time, healthcare was very affordable. Doctors didn't charge what they charge today. Doctors didn't have this big waiting room and they were trying to pay for overhead and staff and then figure out a way that they could charge insurance companies more money because they had the bigger purse. So there's all these reasons that we end up leading to higher cost insurance today, aside from Affordable Care Act in general. But I think it definitely pushed the envelope for the providers to consolidate. We'll talk about this, consolidate and provide uh, more value, so to speak, but then they charge more for it. So years ago, they used to segment the pool so they could calculate the risk in a better fashion. Uh, Sure, there's the idea of mixing it all together so it's all blended like a lot of employers do, but over time, uh, it increases the cost and the risk model for that employer. And so it's always been an issue related to that. And so you could segment and control that risk in a different way. And until then, you're still going to run into the same financial problem because the providers are still going to bill at a higher rate because they know they can get away with it. And it doesn't matter what they charge. We have claims that come through all the time that are four or $5,000 that are discounted all the way down to two, 300 bucks. Why in the world are they, it's not even discounted. It's just some made up number that gets billed and there's agree upon contractor rate that the PPO get, agrees upon. And so they could put down a hundred grand for a $300 bill. It really doesn't matter. What they look at is claim codes and what's being processed, not necessarily the dollar amount because every provider charges something different. So the insurance company doesn't care. It's just whatever the negotiated rate is. Insurance companies decided, you know what, we can't model this way, so we're out. And so they exited pretty fast in the beginning and narrowed down the marketplace. And this became an issue because competition didn't increase, it decreased. And so if we look at history a little bit, New Jersey and Massachusetts had similar models. That's what they took the boilerplate over. And they narrowed the marketplace. And I think at one point in time, Massachusetts had two carriers. That's it. And then they filed for increases. I think it was 7% one year. And it was denied by the state. They couldn't increase it by 7%, even though they had millions of dollars worth of losses. And so they knew this was coming. I don't care who you talk to. Yes, you could have probably built a better mousetrap, but I just think if you're taking the same core model and try to influence it and make it better, I think you're just putting lipstick on a pig. In this case, it surely came out that way. And you probably could tell if somebody asked me, are you for the Affordable Care Act or, or not? I don't think it helped us generally overall. I think it did more damage, but it did help out a segment of the population. And there's positive things that come out of that. And I think that if we focused on those areas, I mean, I'm not opposed to giving tax dollars to those who are buying their health insurance that fall into a certain income bracket that needed the extra bump to make it more affordable. All for it. They should have just kept it as an earned income credit type product, even though the current product is similar to that with the subsidies. It's just that I think you should have left it up to the tax account. You wouldn't have had to spend $2 billion or more at this uh, at this point on a website that's defunct um, that creates issues when you fill out applications. They've ironed a bunch of stuff out. It's about as smooth as it can be at this point in time. But, the, but obviously, they're spending a lot of money onto it to maintain it. The employees at the marketplace... They could have just left it up there to the tax accountant or the IRS to figure it out. And and it is reconciled in the tax return. So it should have been and it would have been a lot easier to do it that way. So insurance companies with the Affordable Care Act had to figure out ways to control cost. And how do they do that? The law put measures in place on how much you could charge people based on 
um, certain metallic colors, gold, silver, bronze, or platinum to meet certain guidelines. And there's some formulas that go into that. So they went to the max that were allowed by law to help soften the blow. And then guess what? It created a habit. And so uh, every year, uh, the insurance companies increase the max out of pocket on majority of their plans to the maximum allowable by the Affordable Care Act. And so it increased the out-of-pocket. The average out-of-pocket right now is $8,000 per person per year. If you had anything that happened, if you go back to the uh, prior to the Affordable Care Act, I would say that max out-of-pocket was closer to $3,000, maybe four. Uh, in some cases, it was five, but I would say it's definitely, obviously, between three and five thousand dollars. Today, it's at eight, and so nobody's income went up that fast during that same time frame. So, how are we paying for that? Well. The Obama administration signed an executive order to help cover some of that. The IRS can't allocate for it, so they're getting free tax dollars um, that um, they, that cannot be audited or scrutinized or uh, reconciled. And so out-of-pocket expenses can be covered for certain individuals by the federal government, but it definitely still increases out-of-pocket. Uh, it narrowed the network. The insurance companies had to control costs. They had to figure it out fast. Majority of the plans available are all HMOs when you buy it privately. Majority of the portfolios in group now are, uh, well, half of it, I guess, is through HMOs. It's starting to take its turn because the insurance companies were able to control their costs. But on the individual exchange, they narrow the cost down or the network down to a HMO network versus PPO. There's only one carrier in the state of Illinois that offers the PPO. Other states have an EPO, which is technically what's in Illinois, called Exclusive Provider Network or some version of that, depending on who you ask and talk to. But it just means that it's a narrower network. It's still a PPO, functions like a PPO, but it's an exclusive, exclusive to the insurance company because they were able to negotiate better rates. Blue Cross Blue Shield of Illinois did have a larger PPO network. Um, they eliminated it because they claimed they couldn't sustain the cost. People were going um, to the higher teaching hospitals and more expensive care. I'm not sure the truth on any of that. I know the financial data reflected it, but uh, who knows? At the same time, the premiums go up. So our out-of-pocket expenses double and our premiums more than doubled over the 10-year period. I'm not sure if that was their intention, but here we are. Um, you know, with the premium models that exist, small groups are now less expensive than the individual market, which is the first time in history. If you're in between jobs and COBRA is an option, you will find out that unless you qualify for the tax credit, it is financially better to stick with the COBRA plan. That has never happened prior to about five years ago. And so that's new for a lot of people experiencing COBRA relation, uh, connections or losing your job or switching jobs during this whole pandemic. Um, it's a reality check in some ways. You can save money in the individual market in certain cases compared to COBRA, however, or even small group for that matter, but you're going to get less. And so a lot of times you can end up getting more by staying with COBRA or going with a small group for the, about the same money that you're spending. Uh, so it's just a value dollar amount. So let's talk a little bit because of the new administration maybe introducing a public option. I know it was on their agenda. Whether or not it'll come true, I know it's talked about during the campaign. And of course, um, many in the Democratic Party want the government to take over the health care system. But you know, public option is not available as of now, even though there's this thing called the public marketplace. Um, it's not available. Some want to move to a single payer system. Uh, again, the government may have got good intentions in the future, and this may work out, may not. In the United States right now, you have the VA, you have Medicare, and you have Medicaid, and they're all defunct in some fashion. 
Sure, do veterans get access to good quality care? Sure, but there's problems in, in, in the system. That's And of course, we read about it all the time. Medicare is having a financial problem. That's why the government created Medicare Advantage plans to outsource the risk from the Medicare pool. So they have a fixed cost by paying a premium to the insurance company, very similar to what we do with our homeowner's insurance. Instead of taking the risk ourselves, we pay a fraction of the cost to a third-party company to t- inherit that risk. That's what the government was trying to do. They're way overpaying for it. There's too much profit. That's a whole nother topic altogether. And so uh, in a uh, public option, it's exactly what's going to happen. People are going to gouge the system. I guess they always will. But if you look at other public options or single-payer systems throughout the world, they have very similar problems financially. They Behind closed doors, they have issues. There are some countries like Canada that have more stable system. The issue is that you pay higher taxes. And But a lot of Canadians will come back and say, well, but I do okay, right? So they're a lot more laid back in the United States too. But it's called budgeting, right? So it's whether you pay somebody else to take care of it for you or you take the responsibility. You don't have to have 10 Starbucks in a week. And so you could literally save money and reallocate those funds to other things. And so the government just says, well, we'll just take your money and we'll provide access to it. You don't have to worry about it. So you pay more in taxes. Some people are okay with this. Some people are not. In the United States, it's still on that tipping point where whether or not we're going to go that way. Um, I think that if the administration wins the second term, so they're in the office for eight years, I think this will be 10 to 12 years out. But it is something that's probably on the horizon unless administrations change in between, um, between House and Senate, as well as the presidential administration in four years. And so we will educate you or, or provide information on the, uh, as we move along, but um, public options are available in the United States today, and there's problems with it. So it'll be interesting how the current administration is going to lay things out and how they're going to finance it, how they're going to administer it, and how they're going to do their checks and balances my guess is it'll be more of the same, cram it, cram it down their throats, have a 10,000-page bill in the middle of the night, and get it passed. And nobody knows what the details are until we pass it. But again, um, I, it, it's probably going to be a reality, but it'll be many years out. And so we don't have anything to be concerned about going forward. It'll be business as usual on the current health plans. Nothing's going to change. Even the Affordable Care Act that was signed in 2010, most people didn't see the impact until 2014. It took four years, and they weren't even ready then. They had to put the accelerator on and push things to the side. That's one reason why the rollout was horrible in 2013. So there was an executive order to offer an extension from the canceled policies because millions of people were getting cancellation notices December 31st, 2013, going into 14, forcing people to move to the Affordable Care Act until the Obama administration signed the executive order to extend those plans. And so I think it's going to take time. It's not going to be anything that happens overnight, but we will keep you up to speed on that. So from the world of Butch Zimar, again, health insurance is the only insurance product we really have serious issues with, but I, I, I think one of the major solutions to it is provide more direct pay. There's no free lunch, so somebody's paying for it one way or the other. But if consumers are the ones that are paying for it, the ones with the smaller wallets, smaller cash, uh, providers will ration their own materials, equipment to help cover those costs instead of inflating and doing mergers and acquisitions and rebuilding and adding facilities to cover and then charging to cover the costs. I think more transparency is going to be definitely a key. Uh, I know the current, the old administration, the Trump administration passed for tr- more transparency, but I think if providers come up with the menu board 
Everybody knows what's going to happen at the end of the day. Uh, I think that'll control a lot more cost going forward. And then uh, I think employers need to demand more, demand more out of the broker, demand more out of the insurance company, and demand more from the from the providers. And it's already in the works. Uh, it has been for many years now. And there's there's group uh, employers out there that are actually reversing the trend and the and bending the curve. And their premiums are lower today than they ever have been before. In some cases, they've actually eliminated provider networks so the employees can go anywhere they want, when they want, how they want, and they're still controlling the cost. So the industry is fixing itself. It's just going to take a lot longer, but it's going to. Uh, we need the help of the policyholders and employers and the brokers. So that wraps up uh, this week's um, ZMAR podcast, and I appreciate all the listeners. Please make sure you subscribe and, and share. Thanks so much. <music>